0: We're going to begin a series of messages today entitled, Life's Important Questions. You see the scripture there. Over the next three Sundays, that's this morning, tonight, next Sunday morning, and then two services the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we're going to to talk about life's important questions. In order to do that, we have to get the first message of the church. Before us the first message of the church today, yesterday and forever is always Jesus saves. I want to say that again it don't seem like you know that. The first message of the church yesterday, today and tomorrow and always is Jesus saves. The first message of the church that's good. Second message Jesus and Jesus alone saves. There's not a multiplicity of ways to get to heaven. The Bible records the words of our Savior. He spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and this is what he said. He said, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then in the shadow of the cross in the upper room, Jesus speaks these words. I am the way. I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Here's what I want to say to you. Jesus and Jesus alone saves. So that bears a question in this modern-day inquisitive generation. What does he save us from? Well, Jesus saves us from, and he saves us too. He saves us from our sin. He saves us from... A place that we know is hell. It's a place of eternal punishment. And he saves us to abundant life here on earth and eternal life once we leave this earth. And he's the only one that does it. Well, kind of how did that happen? Let me give us a refresher course just in the first few minutes of this message. Paul writes to us and he says to us, For God demonstrated his love for us. He demonstrated, How did he do? You know, don't you like to be in a place where God, our God, demonstrates his love? I mean, we take that for granted, but listen, gods of this world will cause people just to commandeer aircraft and fly into buildings. Gods of this world will cause its followers to behead somebody on international TV. We have a God that demonstrated his love for us, but it may not be love the way we kind of think. Because we kind of think, if you love somebody, if you love your kids, you let them do what they want to. You give them everything you want. But watch this. Watch how God's love, we'll use that as a crostic, watch how God's love plays out to To save us from sin, to save us to life. The L stands for law. God set up a law. We call it the Ten Commandments. Now, first of all, nobody's saved by the law. Because, first of all, nobody can keep the law. I mean, have you ever stole anything? Have you lied about anything? Ever coveted anything? Ever lusted for anything? And yet, the Bible says in Psalm 19 that the law is perfect in reviving the soul, the law. Since nobody, since we know that nobody can keep the law, the O stands for offended. We have offended that law. The Bible says this, there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short. Everyone has offended the law. That means my mom and my dad offended the law, my grandparents before them, me and you. Doesn't sound too good thus far. Well, it gets worse when you get to the V. The V stands for verdict. Have you ever been in a courtroom and saw the tension when the jury came back in to render the verdict? Well, let me tell you, the verdict is in. The Bible tells us the whole world stands guilty before God. That means you and I. The verdict normally follows with a sentence... The wages of sin is death. How many of you feel like that you can die and pay for your sin and then get right with God? Now, right about now, you're looking up there, you're going, Brother Jerry, wait a minute. That's supposed to be love. That doesn't sound much like love yet. Oh, you're right. And if you leave the E off, it won't be, but the E stands for escape. The Bible asks this question, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation. Now what salvation is that? Now watch this. Let's go back up to that top line. For God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the way that we're saved is to realize that Jesus died for your sin. Realize without Jesus that you have no hope of heaven. You have no hope of life. You have no hope of a relationship with God. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you done that? I am not asking you. I don't ask the question if you're a church member or a Sunday school member. I don't ask how long you have served on the deacon body or the finance team or, or the children's team. I'm not asking. I'm asking this. Has there come a time in your life when you realized you were a sinner and you called on him to save you? If not, why not do that right now? Why not just right where you sit? Why not just bow your head and say, Lord Jesus, he's talking to me. Because I know for sure that if I died right now, I would not make heaven. Or you may say, if I died right now, I really don't know where I'd go. Well, the Bible is written, 1 John 5 says, These things I've written unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. With that message in front of us, and clearly and passionately understood, it's time for us to face some biblical questions. We will do that over the next couple of weeks. Biblical questions about life. Questions are a part of life, and I just want to say this to you. If questions are asked in the right spirit, they can never harm. Now, they may hurt. But they may, they'll never harm. And you say, Brother Jerry, how can they hurt and not harm? Well, the reason they'll hurt is because when the questions that are asked from the, from the Bible reveal our wickedness, the wickedness of our fallen nature, when the, when the questions that are asked root out our self-centeredness and bring into view our selfishness which so displeases the Father, then they hurt. At the same time, as we go through these questions, I hope they'll be both challenging and changing for each of us. I got to thinking about these challenging and changing questions. And I'm thinking about in life the questions that we encounter just in regular life, you know. What will I do when I get out of school? What college will I go to? Who will I marry? What will my job be? All these just regular questions. And then I got to thinking about it with a giggle. How about that question, will you marry me? Challenging and changing. Now, it doesn't matter if the, the man asks the woman like his tradition or like today, if the woman asks the man. I don't know why I'm looking at you when I said that, Mike. <laughs> but here's what I'll tell you. When, when, when that question is uttered, will you marry me, it is uh, it's challenging. You know why? Please listen, teenagers, because you're going to determine if you're going to forsake all others and commit your life to that one person until you die of old age. It's challenging. And it's changing because, well, because there are so many reasons, so many changes that have to take place that I'm not even going to get into it. Could I get an amen? In fact, I want to say this to everybody in this room unmarried. Most of us who've been married any length of time had no idea of the changes and the challenges that were ahead when we said, I do. Can I get an amen? But some questions challenge, some questions change, and some questions confront. Why did I come to this life's important questions? This past week, I was drawn to five questions in the Bible. And we find our first questions in the, in the text that you see, but we're going to wait a second because before we get to that text, before we read that, story, that question, I want to give you the backstory. story. Make sure that everybody's on the page. Not everybody knows the stories in the Bible, so we're going to do our best to do this quickly. The characters are fairly familiar. You have Elijah, the prophet of God. You have Ahab, the weak king of Israel, and you have Jezebel, the wicked queen of Israel. Brother Jerry, why do you call Ahab weak and Jezebel wicked? Okay, they both were wicked. In fact, if you go back to 1 Kings 16, here's what you'll discover. You'll discover that the Bible says that Ahab was more wicked than all the kings who had come before him. And I'm just going to tell you, he had some pretty good competition. The wicked queen, she always manipulated. You know, that's what happens with our spouse when our spouse has a wicked and a bad um. Uh, attitude and approach to life, they will affect everything we do. Well, the land was wicked and God got tired of it and he sent Elijah. Elijah was tired of it, so Elijah pronounced a a drought. No water. Now we know in hindsight that it was three years, but he pronounced a, a drought and just as he pronounced a drought, God called him to another place so God could take care of him while the drought, while the judgment of God was going on in Israel. By the way, we know a little bit about droughts. Now, we here have been in the place where they say, don't water your grass, but out west, they've come to where they even had to ration water because of the lack of water. But may I just say this to you? We know about a drought in this land, we know about a drought in this community. It's a spiritual drought. In fact, the reason that it's here is because it's been so long since God has poured out His Spirit like water on our souls in a manifest way like He did at Pentecost that today we live in a time when our mouths are dry and our souls are parched and the soil of our hearts have become hardened. We need rain. We need the rain of the Holy Spirit of God. Let's get back to the story. After approximately three, three and a half years, God told Elijah to come back, so as chapter eighteen opens, Elijah comes back. I wish we had time to to really look at this whole story, but we don't because because what's on my heart today is uh, driving me so much but i'll just give you one deal is that if you if you read this story, you'll find a lot of things but, but if you look at down in verse seventeen, Ahab is the wicked king. Elijah is god's man. he says when Elijah saw When Ahab saw Elijah, Elijah said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Don't you like the backbone of God's man? He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. The lesson there today is that a lot of times when things aren't going right, the people who are actually causing the trouble try to put it on somebody else. But now, Elijah says to King Ahab, we're getting there. Elijah says to King Ahab, "He's Ahab, Let's gather everybody. It's time for a showdown. You get your p- false prophets that you think are your buddies, those guys eating with you, and we'll call everybody else from Israel. and And the word is from the theologians that there was 850 prophets, false prophets, and there were probably thousands of people who claimed to be God's people gathered on Mount Carmel for the showdown. Now then, the stage is set. 1 Kings 18, verse 21. And Elijah came near to all the people and he said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that in the moments that remain, I pray that your question will penetrate our hearts. I pray that it will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I pray that when the day is done, that you will break down our defenses. And you'll call us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. How long will you go limping between two opinions? I want to make this as simple as possible. we read this, just look in that verse, and the first thing that jumps out at me is the word opinions. Opinions. Now, opinion, not a biblical word. This is a word we use every day. In fact, everybody's got one. In fact, if you get five Baptists together, you may have seven or eight opinions. I mean, we, we we know we know about opinions. I mean, Baptist church members have opinions on everything. They have they have opinions on the carpet. They have opinions on the instruments. They have uh, opinions on the parking lot. They have opinions on the nursery. They have opinions on the on the lights. They have opinions on just about everything. Because you see, we think that somehow that's our divine right. But well, here's what i want to tell you. Here's what I discern from this book. Truth be known, there are only two opinions. How long will you go limping between two opinions? If you miss this, you miss the word today. There are only two opinions. There's gods and mans. There's gods and womans. There's gods and students. There's gods and... You get the idea. There are, there are only two opinions that really matter. In fact, in fact, whatever is not God's opinion is—you figure it out. To him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. You look at the word opinion in the Hebrew language, and it literally means it speaks of a division or are or, 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 or being divided. It speaks about playing both sides of the fence. And that is exactly, please listen, that is exactly what the Israelites were doing. They were doing their best to play both sides of the fence. They were claiming to be God's people while they were living like children of the devil and being assimilated into a false culture. And Elijah rightly asked, how long are you going to do this? If you look at the picture he paints... It jumps out at you. He uses the word, in our translation, he uses the word, how long will you go limping? (laughs) That word right there has gone through a lot of modifications and a lot of translations. In fact, King James says, how long will you halt? New King James says, how long will you falter? New New International Version says, how long will you waver? Waver. New American Standard, a Holman Christian Standard says, how long will you hesitate? The Basic English Bible says, how long will you balance? And the Jewish Bible says, how long will you jump, back, go jumping back and forth while God's Word translations ask this? How long? Are you listening, Church of the 21st Century? How long will you try to have it both ways? In the message, Gene Peterson, now, if you want to know how the message came about, Dr. Gene Peterson wanted to write a paraphrase translation that he could sit and read to his children. And this is how he this is how he phrased that. He said, How long are you gonna sit on the fence? That struck a chord with me. For you see, I was not raised totally in the country, but I was raised in and around the country. And I have. And I'm not trying to be funny or vulgar or anything else. I have, Adam, on more than one occasion, tried to jump a fence to only make it halfway. You got what I'm telling you? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? And when you find yourself on a fence halfway, straddle, you know what you do? You hesitate. You freeze. You halt. And you may walk away limping. Anytime I got straddled of a fence, I was afraid to move. Are you all with me? Have I lost you? You look like you just died and nobody's pronounced you dead. Listen, you sat on that fence and you're afraid to move because you get hurt. Now, I wonder this. Could the reason be, could the reason be that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in America today, the reason that we are so lethargic and paralyzed is that we're trying to sit on the fence, on Sunday, we pick up our spiritual prom-poms and we wave them and we sing, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the answer. But on Monday through Friday, we try to compromise. We try to fit in. We try to be liked. The question today is how long, Church? How long will we go limping? Will we halt? Will we hesitate between these two opinions? And this message is for every Sunday school teacher, Sunday school member, church member, deacon, preacher, staff person, just the person that says in the pew, How long? The church is the light. In this country, and this country is walking in darkness because I believe this question needs to be asked, how long? Our culture has done a number on us, told us that we need to be politically correct. Let me just say this to you. I'm not trying to be mean. We don't need to be politically correct. We need to be biblically courageous. God has called us to stand on his truth. And just as, a, as those folks on Mount Carmel were challenged by the words of the prophet, today we're challenged. How long are we going to just try to have it our way? How long are we going to stand on our two feet instead of falling in the loving arms of Jesus? How long are we going to try to, to force our issues instead of letting Him lead us? How long? There's a culture going to hell. And there's a small segment in the buildings this morning all over this country who say we care and say we have the answer, but how long? I think opinions are killing us. How long will you halt between two opinions? That brings us to the second word, options. Options. Man, we like options. We get through in just a second. Many of us are going to go to the restaurant that has the biggest menu. Cause we wanna, we wanna have, we wanna be able to choose. And we like churches with a lot of activities. We like communities with a lot of activities. We like restaurants with a lot of items. May I just say this to us with as much passion and yet love that I can muster as this. When it comes to life, when it comes to living, when it comes to eternity, when it comes to the Lord, we only have two options. We either choose His way or we choose our way. And the question is, how long will you falter? How long will you limp? How long will you halt? How long will you hesitate? How long will you try to play both sides of the fence? How long? This church will be almost 43 years old. How long? And you know what? It occurred to me. As I was praying through this message, it occurred to me that this morning we're going to come to the time of commitment in a second. And there are going to be people that refuse to move because of their pride. And then they wonder why God doesn't get loose. They refuse to let God penetrate their heart. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me right here. He says, "How long will you hop, go limping between two options? The Lord is Lord. Follow Him. That's the call today. If the Lord's Lord's. Follow Him. If bells, bell. If you think this world's got the answer, follow Him." And the people did not answer him a word. I wonder if that's a caricature of Sunday after Sunday, Sunday night after Sunday night. How long, church? You know what? Whatever option you choose personally determines your outcome. Determines your outcome. However, this church turns out, I'm gonna, I'll pick on Troy. We have a lot of great discussions. He and I had a discussion. Troy, I really don't remember how long ago it was. You'll remember it. And one of the heart cries is that if we don't make some changes, if we don't answer this question, how long? We had a conversation, and Troy said, this building could become a honky-tonk in ten years. I said, no. I've been before the zoning commission. They won't let it become a honky tonk. Now, it might become a country club or it might become a community center. He said, Brother Jerry, you think it's that bad? I said, I'm going to tell you, we are burying people faster than we are reaching people. How long? How long? Our outcome is controlled by the option we take, by the choice we make. And let's just be honest before God. Most of us in this room, we have everything we need. Most of us in this room have everything we need. The majority of us have everything we want. And the eye of the needle principle, it's harder for a rich man to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to... It's harder for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God is at play, full bore. We are rich in things that don't matter and don't last. I wonder if we're poor in spiritual things. So what? God has given this church so much. And I know because I visit other churches. God has given this church so much. Are you prepared to stand before him after he's given us so much? And walk in empty-handed. Remember that old hymn, must I go in empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior's soul? Not one soul with which to greet him must I empty-handed go. We like to sing that. And we like to sing that and point it to other people. But listen, the mirror is on you just like it is on everybody else. Now what? It is what will we do. The starting point is our commitment. The starting point is surrendering our lives to him. How long will we limp between two opinions? How long until we sell out to him? Let's pray together.